0: Hi, I'm Liz Cully, and welcome back to Cool, Cool, Cool. Each week, I give you a glimpse into what I think is cool and chat with a ton of people that are definitely cool. No topic is off-bounds unless, I guess, it's not cool. Welcome to Cool, Cool, Cool. My friend Russell went to Outfest and saw Kokomo City and he immediately told me that I would Absolutely loved the documentary, and he was completely right. Kokomo City is an incredible documentary uh, directed by Dee Smith, and it follows four Black trans women um, really showing all of us their stories and their lives, showing the fun, the natural, the humanized side of Black trans women. That is a direct quote from Dee Smith. Um, And I absolutely loved it. It follows Daniela Carter, who is on the show today, who I absolutely fell in love with during Kokomo City and was so happy to discover her because now I'm never letting her go because I'm obsessed. Uh, Leah Mitchell, Dominique Silver, and Coco de Dahl. I know you're not supposed to like choose favorites ever, but it's my show and I'm gonna choose a favorite and I have my favorite on today, Daniela is a star. She is so earnest and just captivating on screen in Kokomo City. Um, all of the women are, but she just really is just, she's just got the thing, you know? And so I was thrilled when she accepted my request of coming on Cool Cool Cool. Quick disclaimer, my darling, dear Daniela, her internet was a little crap. It is not her fault. We blame Verizon. But do me a favor. Bear with it. Bear with me. Bear with her. This is such an important episode. It is such a good one. Just, just listen to it all the way through and know that we're living in a time where sometimes the internet sucks. So uh, please enjoy. I mean, it's not like you weren't working out doing crazy workouts in the movie. I was like, okay, Daniela, we know... You are an athlete, look at look at this, these jumping jacks and all types of stuff. <laughs> I have to tell you, I don't remember how it all went down. If I was already following you, you followed me, whatever. But, cause I don't remember these things. But the second I saw that you, I was like, there's no way that Daniela, I like clicked you, died, freaked out, DM'd you like, oh my God, I'm shook. And then I called my darling friend, Russell, who was the one that told me about your film, he was like, Liz, you're gonna be fucking obsessed with this. And I was like, no, I already know about it because you won all these accolades at Sundance. I was like, no, no, no." And I've known Lena for many, many years. I'm like, no, I've already heard about this. So I woke up at seven o'clock in the morning and I was like, I am so excited for this interview today. So thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, and on top of that, then yesterday you released this new project that you did for Self Magazine. Obviously I work at Condé Nast. So I was like, we are even more intertwined than I ever could have thought about it. You, I was like, she directed this amazing piece. I can't wait to see it. Cindy Loppers posting it, who I saw when I was very, very hungover, potentially still drunk in a bodega on the Upper West Side like 15 years ago. I was like, Daniela. (laughs) What is going on? She
1: understands because girls just want to have fun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you, when I lived in when I lived in New York City, all I was doing. Actually, it's funny, you know, and you being from New York. I wonder if you would agree. I had the most fun when I go to New York. I go off the Richter scale. I go hard in the paint. I'm out late. I drink. I eat. I see all my friends. But when I lived in New York as a young person. I had no money. I was working in clubs. I was allegedly involved in things that I believe are now recreationally legal in the state of New York. But at the time, I may or may not have been doing things that somebody potentially could have said was illegal. It was like the best of times in New York, but the worst of times. Do you feel like New York heightens every emotion, like, do you kind of agree or am I totally wrong about New York?
1: No, no, no. You're definitely right. Because so recently I've been going back and forth from New York to Indiana. Definitely a huge difference in so many ways, more than one. But the thing about it that I actually like, believe it or not, about Indiana, what it offers is more of a slow pace environment. But then also I'm like in this very small bubble. So- yeah. I'm probably not experiencing the Indiana that most people are experiencing. And then I'm like with my like husband's family. And so for me, when I come back to New York, being in such a fast paced environment, it's not as everybody seems so like angry a little bit. Not yeah. angry, because I feel like that's what other people who are non-New Yorkers say about us. But just there, it's true. Like a New Yorker is so unbothered that sometimes it can feel aggressive you know and so it's like when I come back it's like there's this level of like approachability in like other places where it's like oh if I see somebody like I nod and I say good morning hi to a New York it's like I don't know you why are you speaking to me you know and so it's like for me having to survive the streets of New York too and then finally getting to a place where I have like a home a family a support system I'm like that, like, really, like, gritty survival feeling that New York kind of sometimes make you feel like I'm usually a little over that. Like, I can't. It's like, I feel like, even if you're not an artist, you have that artist hustle mentality to you. And it's a little.
0: (laughs) Well, no, it's right. And that's actually, I mean, and listen, you... You're from New York, but you've been in the industry, in the entertainment industry for 10 years. You were in Laverne Cox's T-Word 10 years ago. How have you seen the industry change? I mean, now you're directing, you have your own film festival. Like you have a lot, it's, a a lot has happened in 10 years. But what have you seen in the industry really change for you in the last 10 years in the entertainment industry?
1: I think in the last 10 years, what, I saw was a wave of the marketable conversation until it became a political pawn, right? Mm. And so I think that there was a genuine interest within the industry to create more visibility um, and opportunities for trans artists in specifically outside of the documentary space. Right, And then what we saw was like this wave after Laverne Cox graced the cover of Time Magazine. And she was fiercely advocating for more representation, challenging the industry to go beyond just seeing her as like the representation of trans talent, um, specifically within the creative arts. And so then we saw other shows like Pose, then we saw Legendary, documentary like Pure Kids for Life, right, and um, excuse me, And my house. So the networks were starting to take interest, but while there was certain positions that were being opened up, such as like them as the actors, we didn't see many opportunities behind the cameras. And so then, right, as the movement went along within the industry, it kind of went from Laverne being the representation to the opportunity of a pole show to exist, right? And so while I felt like there was, a sense of advancement. I was reminded, though, of what exceptionalism looks like in the industry, right? Because for these women to even get access to that opportunity, they had to be the exceptional voice. right. right? They had to be women in some ways to be the token, but an equitable token, right? Because it was like, okay, Janet was the first, but she made sure right to create a pipeline of opportunity within her representation. So that way, right? Like the cast of supposed to be the first of many, right? And I'm thinking specifically about MJ Rodriguez becoming the first trans woman to win a Golden Globe. And so, what we saw is right, women who, in the position of exceptionalism, as the people in the position of power, they fought not only for their opportunity, but for others. And for me, as I saw this movement taking the different, I want to say eps and flows, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Where we started wave of green light, then we started slowing down, then green light again of trans narratives. I think now, unfortunately it's so much different because it's like the trans community is being used as a political pawn for the right wing agenda to say that somehow we are, taking away women's rights, or we're confusing people about what women's rights are. And so these media companies are afraid, right? Because it's more about capitalism than it is about real change in a sense of like at the societal level, because capitalism don't really care about people. It cares about the green, right? How can you take advantage of the most marginalized, of the most poor? Um, And so... I think that what we see is now this scarcity of wanting to continue to highlight the narratives because of the political climate. And while I think that there is hope for this movement to continue within the industry of greenlighting more trans projects, I think that, you know, already with the industry's issues of like with the, you know, Writers Guild strike and the SAG strike, like, They have so many more issues that unfortunately, I just don't think that they're gonna prioritize trans representation as an issue. And so what we'll see is that what we thought was this wave of opportunity happening for us, we're gonna go back to the beginning of what felt like the beginning of time a bit, right? And fighting for these opportunities, because for them, what makes our narratives important now when so many people are going to get distracted by the politics of it, not the humanity of the story that's being told, you know, and, and the scarcity of having to take on politics within media in terms of narrative representation is something that we know historically they didn't want to do. You know, when you think about the civil rights movement, when these activists started getting a certain level of visibility, if they wasn't murdered, then there was this demand that the media, right, started to tell the other stories more than those stories. So we didn't hear about the people dying at marches. We were only told the stories about the people who was inciting riots at, right. Right, at these marches. And so they wanted to control the narrative in a way where it felt as if it was like this very like neutral, bipartisan in a way kind of platform, but really it had only centered white voices. It only centered white experience. And that's what feels like it's being threatened right now. And so we're still fighting the old white man in a position of power, asking to see value in marginalized stories. And right now they're focused on capitalism, AI being able to be a key source for them to be able to do that with. And so, yeah, I think this industry with all the many waves we've seen with advancements and recognition, if anything, we we got in battle and we had a few wins.
0: You froze right at the end. And I'm like, no, Daniela, keep going. Oh, my God. Your internet's going give me a heart attack. I'm going to have a heart attack right here on the floor. It's not me.
1: It's Verizon. So, girl.
0: Fucking Verizon. We Another white Verizon. man just fucking us all up. Well, no, you make... I mean... <laughs> <laughs> these fucking white men. You, you make a lot of really good points, and this is why it's so exciting to see you directing Daniela's guest book, which I want to get into a lot about your platform, which supports and amplifies BIPOC creators in this world. I think taking control of the narrative is really important. I think a lot of times in queer stories specifically, it's a lot of times cis white men who are gay, but they're, they have the opportunity first before women and then, you know, women of color and then trans women of color, like they are always a a, a cis white man, regardless of their sexuality is typically more palatable to (laughs) straight white people than anybody else. And so and that's fine. And that's great. But I think we can't have and that's why I'm involved in LPAC which is an incredible organization that I talk about all the time where we're trying to get female identifying queer folks into office particularly those of color and that is why us women especially white women especially white queer women have to start rallying around all women in general because we can't just rely on cis white men regardless of their sexual orientation to fucking speak up for Mm -hmm. us because they don't typically but i think that's why it's so important that You know, people are given the opportunity to tell their own stories, which is incredible that you're directing and producing now and that that has been your trajectory over the last 10 years. And I can't imagine what you have in the pipeline and what the next 10 years will be for you. In Kokomo City, what I loved is that it really felt like the presence of another of another, you know, of another white cis man wasn't there, kind of controlling the narratives. And I felt like throughout the film, you kept directly speaking to camera and really talking about your experience specifically, which I loved. Cause I felt like you were talking to me, you were talking to other people watching it. It was like you directly in my eyes being like, no, bitch, you need to listen to what I'm saying. And I was like, Daniela, yes, I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, I'm listening, but did you feel, <laughs> and guess what? And the amazing thing is, as you starring in this, you had a lot to, see. you ha- you have this incredible ability for such a young age to like really see outside of yourself and your experience and everyone's experience. Did you feel like this was an opportunity? I know you were in the T word. I know you were in a lot of other projects. But did you feel like in Kokomo City you were able to really craft your own story and speak a- as clearly to the camera as I felt you were?
1: So here's the thing. So when you say young, I think to anybody who is non-trans, I'm young. But in trans years, I'm a dinosaur.
0: Okay, and fair and enough. So fair I enough. I think
1: like I've-, <laughs> I've lived quite a few lives, it feels yes. like, but. I think one of the things for me when telling my story in Kokomo City, or it feel like I was speaking directly to you, is because I think it was coming from a place that right like since the T word, being, you know, 18 years old, 20 years old, 18 to 20 years old at that time, when we were filming that, you know, I was just coming out of rape like a rape experience i was just literally i mean days maybe i think it was days or like maybe even a week out before the release of the t-word i had just got my own apartment and so so much of my life had just began literally days before the release of the t-word and so so much has happened since then right and i've been able to you know before i got Engaged to an insanely rich person. Literally months after this release of the T word, and I got to access the resources to go like do crazy shit, like get engaged under the Eiffel Tower in Paris, sickening ring. You no, know, literally living like the doll should. And so you know, after I'm in this relationship and I'm thinking like I finally overcome oppression and poverty, and then there was this unfortunate event that happens that where we got separated. And so now I'm back to ground zero, back to living in poverty, back to no resources. And so I thought, what do you know how to do best? You bitch know how to survive, bitch. Like, if there's nobody else who knows how to fucking survive, it's you. So figure it the fuck out. And, and girl, in New Mexico, I was the black trans little Oprah, okay? Like, it was very that energy. So I'm back to a place of confusion, though. Right. And, and literally not knowing what to do. So I go to sex work and here I am still being invited into certain spaces. Right. Because of, you know, this accolade of being on the T-word and getting to the TED talk moment, too. And I didn't really have the financial backing. Right. Or like resources to keep up that image. And I didn't want anybody knowing that I'm like separated now and going through these personal issues. So here I am in a strip club. Here I am getting sugar daddies. Here I am balancing sugar daddies, shaking my ass at night, right? <laughs> to continuing to continue and excuse me, to show up for these opportunities. So by the time Kokomo City came, right, like, and, you know, I was at a place where after navigating that journey, excuse me, and then getting fed up with that. And I then put myself through a film program in Brooklyn and I asked myself, what is your calling? What is it you love to do? And there is something that is deep down inside me that believes that once you've gone through rape 10 times, once you've jumped out of windows, once you've slept on the streets, once you've had to literally go and navigate what felt like every struggle in society to fight for your yeses, you say to yourself, what's my goal? There's something here, and that calling has to be you just simply surviving. And so that's storytelling. Yeah. Your ability to tell your story, but there are so many other people whose stories are just like yours. Because what I know is I'm never the only one. And so I started to say to myself, okay, what can you do? So I'll go into producing. I get into producing, and then by the time Kokomo City comes up, you know, here I am now, like, okay, I'm at an ad agency. This is a project talking about sex work. And you know, I am at a place where I can comfortably say, right, that I am destined for greatness. Not only because I have a job, but because I am committed to no longer live in survival. And so every person I meet will become the next tool and access point for me and my network to help elevate me out of this survival. And that's what I did, you know. And so when Kokomo city came, it was a way for me to stand in truth, to stand in power, to say no shade to the white bitch. Cause I've been there. I've said it being honest bitch, whether it was me sucking a dick or using my white person's card. Okay, my white partner's card. And I know that feeling, I know what it felt like to feel like the stripper girl, to feeling like the elitist black girl. And so it was time that when I had the opportunity to talk to both versions of not only myself, but of the women that I've encountered, the women that have you know, somehow seen that because I'm able to access that space with them, deemed me enough, but could look down on the trans person who's experience and who I am, right? I am that homeless Black trans girl. I am that homeless Black trans woman who lacked resource and opportunity. And so when I was able to realize that there's some type of power in that story, to be able to, in some ways, some would say, some people would say conform, but the ability to be able to exist within both communities. And I say both one at the socioeconomic level and then one at the cultural level, right? Of uh, And that stark difference of it being, whether you consider it upper middle class or wealthy or simply just being trans and poor or trans and wealthy, right, that I knew that somebody needed to hear that it's okay for one to be the sex worker and surviving, but for the bitch who's constantly always looking down on people in the spaces that is considered a prestige, of affluence, it's time that you get called out because bitch you later put up your privilege. And these people existing in spaces with you who use survival tactics don't deserve your shame don't deserve your prejudice because bitch, at the end of the day, the only thing you're using to access that space is money. And so if their money brought them to that space with you, regardless of how they choose to present themselves or what they had to do to get it, they deserve that. they deserve respect at the human level because they did whatever they had to do as a human to get access to that same place that you call equality. And so you're deserving of it one day. And so I wanted to challenge people to think about that, to give the mother who rejects right, a child to the person in privilege, to a Black community that don't even want to talk about the fucking issues that we all Black, but we the same one shaming each other, killing each other. Right? Mean, I'm not talking about Black on Black crime when the ways in which they have that conversation only includes Black men killing Black men. I'm talking about Black on Black crime of a Black man killing Black trans women. Of a black person killing a black trans person, right? Like, because that in that conversation, the collective liberation is that all black people just want to experience protection and freedom. And so, when we're not having those conversations, when we're compartmentalizing them to be a woman's issue, a black man's issue, a trans issue, we forget. And so, that's what I was hoping to do when I looked in that camera for the white woman to feel called out and attacked, boots. And for the black person to look inward and say, "How am I contributing to the problem that I really want to be in some ways a part of a collective effort in challenging whiteness, patriarchy, to be a part of collective liberation for all of us?"
0: Well when, these <laughs> first of all, your nails look great. So use all that we have we both have blue nails, which yeah. I love. Yeah. No, but I think you did that. Listen, again, I am a cis white queer woman with privilege. You know what I mean? I grew up a little different. I'm from the Bay. I've had to do some things that other people haven't had to do. I work at Con and Ast. I can't identify with everything that you've been through at all. But what I did take away from it was exactly what you just said. When you were looking at me in camera and you're like, bitch, all these men are putting us down to like we have to support each other. How many, how many straight white women haven't shaken their ass or done some shit to get to where they need to be? We've all done it. And I didn't take away from it that like men are trash, even though cis men who aren't open to Re, to evaluating their privilege, have some issues, but I don't. I'm not mm-hmm. out here being like, Men are trash, blah, blah. but what I what I can say is that it really irks me how women really don't always support women, regardless of any of so many reasons. And I loved, mm-hmm. like, I laughed during Kokomo City. I cried. I was like, damn, this is this is at least. Though I felt like, because as a viewer of, you know, seeing trans documentaries, particularly trans women of color, I don't, I have felt sometimes when the narrative has been controlled by... Non trans women, non trans women of color, it doesn't feel holistic. And what I loved about Kokomo City, specifically you in it, I was allowed to go into a 360 degree version of somebody's life. You know, you're like, no, this is where yeah. I've been. This is where I've gone. You need to listen to me. We need to look outside of our situation. And I just, I felt so like, lu- I just, I was so, I felt like it was so raw and so honest. I felt lucky to have seen it. And I was like, yes you know it was so unique and so amazing and yeah you went in and i appreciated it and and i think you as a director and as a producer now filming that like you said you've had all these years you've had all these different experiences you've lived a million different lives but i think you are an intrinsic storyteller obviously because i was like somebody needs to give daniella a show i did come out of it like shit <laughs> oprah you better be scared living in montecito because nobody can know, like, <laughs> you know, um, tell me about what it's like now. You've told your your story most recently in Kokomo City. I can't imagine that's the last story of yours that we will hear. And I hope not. I, um, But you also are in a position with Danielle's guest book to really. Show other stories and promote other people. When did you start that? And what has been an amazing moment that you've had since starting your platform?
1: So, I think, okay, so I'll go in a little bit in reverse. And I think the most amazing moment for me since creating this platform is literally just that it was having an opportunity to be able to send a message to the creative industry. And what I decided to do was build out a platform that would spotlight other BIPOC artists and help build a network around them that essentially could in hope become this equitable pipeline of opportunity through this recognition, visibility, and mentorship that we offer. So yeah, that's the greatest moment just being able to even think of something like that and actually um, execute on it and put it in the world. So Daniela's guest book was created during the civil rights uprising during the pandemic and working at special guests and ad agency based down in Brooklyn, they do a number of campaigns for big corporations. And so they were helping um, with a lot of their brand messaging. And so when the founder, who is also a dear mentor of mine, Erin Duffy, asked, you know, the team, what can we do, right? And which i all message be? I said, I think that what we need to look at is addressing the actual in- issue within this industry. And that is a lack of opportunity and equity for black artists. Yeah. And so I put about so much of what has contributed to what some people label as the success of my story. And that was always through simple conversation. Right, like my opportunity for the T-word was me literally in a passionate conversation with Laverne Cox at Janet Mock's Book Signing. From that conversation, right, just a passionate conversation about what I want to represent, the change I want to make in the world, Um, and through storytelling and telling my story, I understood that power, right? Here it is, just a passionate project turned into an Emmy award-winning documentary that I'm featured in. And so I said, you know what? Here it is, I'm able to be that person who, for some reason, goes in a room and will call somebody out in a friendly way, right? Sometimes not friendly because it depended on what day and where I was at and how much I need access to that resource. But I knew that, like, (laughs) it was conversation. It was being able to connect with people, (laughs) you know, of power and needed to do what I did best, which was start a conversation with people, connect people to people that they may have never known about, but see the same value that I see in this artist. And not only just in the project and its marketability aspect, but in the individual. And seeing like with a little bit more resource, with a little bit more support, we can see that this storyteller can help change the ways in which we have conversation about BIPOC people's experiences. And so I just knew that like, girl, if you got a Rolodex, use it. Yep. Pandemic, it was like, girl, what are you actually doing at home that you cannot have a conversation with these artists? Like, what are you really doing? I'm sure you painted Janelle's a few different colors this week. Your dog bowl is full. I'm sure the cat is taken care. Of. Like your sheets are folded and washed. Like all you have is time to do is have a conversation. And we saw that people were doing that. They were hosting conversations. They were hosting these DJ nights. They were hosting these platforms and creating a space of celebratoriness to keep people sane during the global crisis. And so I wanted to create intentional, equitable conversation. And that's what Daniela Guestbook is, is a platform that is super intentional, even down the way that we pair the spotlighted artists with the um, established industry expert. I always thought, too, it would be cool that if this platform would represent in some ways that the industry, what would you tell your younger self? Right. And so before I go and I identify these artists, I get a list of, you know, industry established people together. And I try to pair the creators who in some ways have a lot of commonalities of the journey or in their story. And a great example that would be is that during our um first cycle, the New York City Public Advocate joined us for our spotlighted artist, Brittany Franklin. They both are very public about having a disability. The New York City Public Advocate came from a background of theater and entertainment, and then went into politics. Also West Indian, and our spotlighted artist is West Indian has a background in politics, but went over into film. And so when you think about the conversation and how even if this established industry person is on time, 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 structured schedule, when these artists and that established individual are paired, the conversation is so organic and yeah. so relatable. It goes beyond just you know that 30 minute time um that we allotted, you know, that we excuse me, that we built out for the conversation. I mean, conversation was only supposed to be 30 minutes turned into an hour. And even had to restart the live because they were so into it. And so those conversations, conversations were built. Another noble thing that happened was that the director Lucina Fisher, 15 years in journalism, and she crossed the rest filmmaking, it's not necessarily that she would have struggled throughout her whole journey, because <laughs> she's a very talented individual. But it wasn't so easy getting placement, right, for projects or getting funding. And so we connected her to the CEO over at GLAAD, Sarah Kate Ellis. Not only did Sarah introduce her to the GLAAD Network on the live, but then she also made sure to help and assist her secure the remaining funds that she needed to complete for the project, as then would even further to nominate um, the film for a GLAAD award. And so just even being able to give access, right, to artists that they may not have been given, um, that they may not have necessarily had before, excuse me, helps to amplify their work in ways that we know that unfortunately, right, it had to take the person with the access first. But when we remove ourselves as a person in the position of power and privilege or access, and we give the person who deserves that same access, right, that opportunity, they'll begin to be able to flourish because of the resources that the same person who sees value in me we see value in them. We've really just been relationships with established industry leaders, production companies, you know, with top tier festivals, because I'm not in competition with them. I'm just trying to get them to see the artists that maybe they've overlooked and creating a less homogenous community. And, you know, and as we continue to do that, extraordinary things are happening for not only BIPOC artists, but for the ways in which we show up and invite community in. Um, yeah. because this cycle we focused specifically on trans. And we had an incredible successful night um this past Monday at Noya House in New York City. I was able to put together a panel discussion with Dominique Jackson, Mila Jam, Nyla Moon, um Leo. I don't know how to pronounce his name, and Leo, don't kill me if you see this, but he is the lead actor in Mutt um, that is actually out now. And you know, I put together a conversation that just had, you know, talks about the challenges, the progress and diversity impact, specifically as trans artists. And I and never in a million years in starting this platform, but I think that people would fly all the way from New Mexico to attend this event, that people from Toronto would be at this event. And they were. And people flew in, and we had a packed house, and we had two of our spotlighted artists there. And so I am filled with not only so much excitement about what Daniela of Guestbook offer, but I'm filled with excitement and joy. I try to keep it cute, because <laughs> I definitely don't want to cry. Um is knowing that I remember what it felt like just wanting to be seen so bad, right? Like so bad. And I remember that if it took somebody who I felt is established enough to see me and to see the value in me, that's all it took. And to think that like in the smallest way, I'll never take credit for somebody's talent or somebody's career, but in the smallest way, if Daniel Guestbook is serving as some type of platform be an opportunity for BIPOC artists in ways that I didn't have and me seeing the impact, I've done enough already. If I only got through two cycles, I would walk away proud of knowing that I gave people a yes when the industry kept giving them no's.
0: Ain't that the goddamn truth? I also (laughs) I could go over a tangent, girl. I love it. I mean, trust me, I've seen, I watched the movie. I saw, I was like, just give, I was like, give her, give her the give her the stage, ladies and gents. Give her the stage. But you know it's interesting. I I think there's so much power in giving over your power. I don't know I don't know if I'm saying this right. I obviously didn't write this down so just go on this journey with me. But like what being able to prov- as you said provide a pipeline, connect people, I Know that even for my own self, being able to talk to someone who I admire or who I feel like has done the unimaginable and they give me that a little bit of their time has been so not only rewarding, but it's like really defined a lot of how I reevaluate things and how I move forward as opposed to just feeling stuck. And so for you to create Danielle's Guest Book. While you're still obviously working on your own projects, you just did the self project. I can't imagine all the other things you've got going on. You have a m- amazing film that you're starring in that everyone is talking about. As I said to you, let me know what you wear to the Oscars because you can be my date. Because I went by myself last year and it was the, I, it was amazing, but I was like low key in a corner being like boop, 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 on my phone trying to like... <laughs> talk to somebody so m- maybe you and I can be each other's I mean I know you got a fine-ass husband but maybe if you don't get a whatever <laughs> maybe I can tag like, along girl, can I no, tag I'm him?
1: like we could be a throw for the night Trust. okay great <laughs> I've been in I've been in
0: many it won't it be my first I, be could, like I could, could lie I could lie to you Danielle and say you were my first but that would be a lie and I'm not a liar but yes I would love to be <laughs> Your thruple, um, part of your thruple at the at the Oscars, but I do, I think it's in it can be incredibly rewarding to do that, and I think it's it to build a platform like that is no easy easy feat, and so I think it's incredible what you're doing, and I I can't wait to see what what comes out of it. How can people support guest Guestbook? How how can they support you? I know you just have the new uh, work you've done with Self, obviously there's Kokomo City, but like what can people do to support you and trans artists as well?
1: So I think specifically for me, what it would look like that I think it scales in terms of what the partnership or collaborative opportunity would be. So if you want to specifically invest in, you know, me being able to spotlight artists, then we would discuss, you know, a sponsorship package where Obviously, a lot of that has to do with marketing, and would be a more in-depth conversation. So it'd be better for us to connect one-on-one, and then that way, me and my team, we would be able to, you know, have that conversation and then gauge what your support would look like. In terms of, you know, additional support, I think anybody who can offer a space, you know, to be able to host these different activations, if you know that you are an established industry leader. And can help to amplify the voices of some of these BIPOC artists as a moderator or host. That would be helpful. But obviously the main one is green, is what keeps us going. And you know, it's been a very interesting journey with that. But I'm very grateful that um, how can I put this? Is that I prioritize not making my activism performative and what I mean by that is that not just social media facing or just within certain social groups and so if you're a person that wants to be that in the sense of a real change agent and and not saying that 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 support is not helpful but I think that we need to move beyond performative activism and in saying that it's like hey I would love for you either as a company or as an individual to brainstorm with me how you can challenge your community Support this platform by simply putting together fundraiser nights. Um, and no donation is small because everything that we get is just only helping us to build out more of a predominantly BIPOC, excuse me, support team. And it's a lot of different components to this, um, elements, excuse me, to this platform, whether it be when we're hosting in person events or it's hosting the conversations on our social channels. Trying to get project managers. And so most of this has been funded by Vlad and the ad agency um, as a strategic partner. And then the other is just me doing the artist hustle and trying to get it out there to people in my network and get those small donations. So everything really does help. Yeah. But then there are a number of different projects because I am a little crazy. But, you know, I have like a TV show idea that I've been working on. Definitely can not get anything away about that, but I will say I'm so excited because a lot of people who are in the industry that I've shown says that they're super excited about this. I've gotten like some really interesting actors and actresses agree to already do it without it being greenlit. So that's super fun. Um, and for that, I'm looking for, obviously, people who are in, you know, Either it's a streaming space or studio spaces. Um, I know right now it's a very awkward time to be saying you need that kind of support with everything, with the strikes. But as an independent person, this I could see this being an independent project and potentially getting independent film uh independent distributors. So.
0: I also feel like, listen, we are all living in this double strike hell, basically. I mean, my life, it's so funny. Last week I was in Montana. Not quite Indiana, but maybe same same. I felt a little fish out of while. I was like, Ooh, okay, you know, no internet. I was like, all right <laughs> and it was interesting this woman looked at me and she goes, well, you're not acting anymore and I mean, are you right? like how are these strikes affecting you?" And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa 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 you have to understand that these strikes affect everybody, especially in California mm-hmm. and in New York, but like, I think we also have to move through them. So I love that you're like not pausing on anything because I think obviously they're hopefully <laughs> going to come to an end. I don't, I always try not to speak in absolutes because I'm always like, am I fucking myself? Like, is, is this going to end? Blah. But I think you do have to keep moving through them and you never know who you're going to meet. I always, you never know who you're going to talk to and somebody listening right now might be like, oh, actually word, I'm so glad I listened to this because Daniela has whoop whoop going on and that's going to work for, me. you know, and I think what I, I kind of want to touch on really quickly is, you know, you mentioned performative activism, which we see so much we see so much on social media and we live in this really selfish kind of self-centered place uh, because the internet and Instagram and TikTok have taken up so much of our lives. And I I thought about it and I was talking about you to my friend Russell before we recorded because he is a big fan of yours and I was very excited to do this interview. And what we both took away from watching you on Kokomo City specifically was how much you you and the And what you talked about was so not self-centered and not self-focused. And I think it's so indicative of you creating Daniela's guest book. And I really mean this, like, you are able to really look outside of yourself. And it was really incredible because you obviously made me think about so many different things. Just I can only speak about myself. And I know, Russell, because we spoke about it. But you know, when you when you talk about how people can help other people, it I think really talking about how much performative activism is. I mean, I'm you didn't say this, but I'm going to say this. It's bullshit, you know, and it is so selfish and is so self centered. And it's fucking ridiculous, and I think that, and I can't stand it, as you can tell, and I think it really is, like, you know, supporting people really financially, and I agree with you, nothing is too small, like, really we are in a place right now where we've got to stop being so fucking selfish and so self-motivated and you can have dreams and you can have goals and trust me i i also love how you're like yeah the fucking dog is fed the laundry's done like let's go do something else i'm totally that way i'm like what are like always running around but you can have dreams, and you should fucking have a goddamn. Talk. I you didn't mention talk show or podcast, but Daniela, I hope you have one because you should have one, and those you can you can ha- you there's a duality in it right you can have dreams and you can ha- be your own ad- advocate and you can keep going and you can do trust me any i'll fucking go to the opening of a goddamn envelope if someone's like be on my show i'm like okay like i you know as long as they're not weirdo mm-hmm. like whatever i'm down you have to keep promoting but i think there's also Perfect. space for us to help each other while helping ourselves and i really um I'm excited to see to you know dive more into Daniela's guest book. Obviously, I follow it, and everybody else listening, you should follow it too, as well as Daniela. But I agree, you know that that performative fucking activism is some bullshit, you know. And you want to know what's been
1: what's been challenging for me too, and the reason why I call out I call it performative activism is because I literally think about too like a lot of these people who showing up in these spaces. Who are you know taken in the Kokomo City narrative? It's a part of an echo chamber, right? A lot of people who are experiencing Kokomo City are like, you know, either it's just white folks who are very well progressive, and they're going to be interested in learning about, you know, trans stories but then what I specifically, the cis hetero white person, right? But I think about how like, they don't think to take those stories back into their actual communities, right? Like they'll they'll leave it with their gay friend. Like they're not gonna go home and tell their husband, like, hey, I saw this really cool trans doc, you should watch it. And if you are that person, you don't have a very small percentage, (laughs) you know? And so it's like, for me, the performative activism too, it's for the last three years, you know, especially during the civil rights uprising, we had these conversations about the importance and the need of equity for the Black community, for Black trans people, but we haven't seen a rise of Black queer people being hired by these corporations. Correct. Right. We don't see any representation in, within the company. And so even though wow, it, it can look like opportunity, we have to be mindful that visibility, right, in DE&I is not real change. <laughs> Like once, like when you're dealing with companies that's only checking off boxes, you know, and is not like actively, like, in, like enforcing certain practices, like making sure that we don't have one black person in the company. We don't have one black lesbian in the company, one mm-hmm. black person with a disability or like one lesbian, like need to stop allowing them to let us just be a checkbox. Right. And and I feel that as a trans woman of color, because while being on this tour, you can't imagine how many people have said to me, right? Like, you're a great speaker, you're a phenomenal storyteller. You deserve to be out there telling your story. And and I'm not gonna say everyone I've met, but they would tell me their title. And I know they were in a position where they could have said, hey, I would love to invite you in for our next conference so you can educate. That didn't happen. It right. was best of luck in your journey, keep going. Or it's you know me meeting in these spaces with agents or managers, and it's you're incredible, but I won't represent you, right? And so like, but I'm very grateful though that I'm built of a different cloth, right? Where like I never cared about the table that where I'm invited to. Bitch, I will pull out my little imaginary like folding table mm-hmm. with my folding chair. And I will build my own table, my own chair, invite people who want to be a part of it genuinely to elevate and uplift me or elevate and uplift any cause or initiative I have going on. And so, like, no, I'm not even concerned about performative activism anymore because unfortunately, it's something that's so easy to do because it only lies in the power of a share button on Instagram. So you can make yourself seem like this great ally, this great community leader just by getting following, but don't mean that you actually show up beyond your following. And so, you know, and that's why I've always known that, right? Like the issue is us not seeing each other and especially those who are still in the margins of society as enough when we just get a little bit of opportunity. Like instead of gatekeeping it, Find ways where you don't feel like your position is being threatened, but you can build a network around those artists who need the support to get to where you are in a way that doesn't threaten your position. But so many people are so afraid to do that because it's, Oh, somebody might get, they might be better than me and if they are, and if they're qualified allow that person who can lead the movement to where it needs to go, you know, because like, Exchange your power, if the collective goal will be met,
0: <laughs> ain't yeah, that the no, fucking I, truth and listen really right it really it really really is It just the co- it really is okay i have one last question because i know i've taken up a lot of your time on a friday and it's a silly one but is there any celebrity and also i don't know how much you've like listened to me or watched me i always say don't meet your heroes celebrities are monsters everybody knows i think we put them on a pedestal for no reason but it's always fun Has there been like a fun celebrity that's hit you up? that has been like, I love the film. I love you. Or like, I mean, Cyndi Lauper is a real flex. I have to tell you, that's a real New York like flex. But because it's random. I mean, it's like amazing, but it's like Cyndi Lauper, like what a fucking legend. Anybody else that you're like, oh, that's been kind of fun.
1: Do you not know the backstory? I don't think so. You don't know the backstory of actually me and Cyndi Lauper?
0: No. You didn't meet her in a bodega, borderline drunk, twenty years ago, like me, or what? No. <laughs> You're like, what? I was no. eight years old. Get out so, of here! I,
1: actually, I met her at um, I met her back in 2014. I met her and Nancy Pelosi at her 40 to None Summit, and I was one of the guest youth speaker. Then it was so funny how we would just keep running into each other. But I was also um affiliated with her organization, True Colors. Um, I think now it's rebranded as True Colors United. So I would do a number of different events, right? And I would see her, like literally, I kept running into her. And I saw her have, like the logo Trailblazers Award. And then I saw her because they invited me to speak at her Beacon um, Theater concert with Laverne Cox. Um, when Laverne Cox was hosting, excuse me, this was all around the T And I was backstage with like all the different like performers and everything. And then Shortly after that, I ran into her again. Girl, no shade. I really kept running into that lady so much. I was just like, it got to a point where like at first it was like, hi, Sydney Lauper. So like, what's this tea, girl? <laughs> I'm not even joking. Um, But then it was so funny. And I just said to somebody yesterday, I said, you know, the universe is so funny, and I think about all those, like, little small things that were happening. Not small. I can't believe I just said that. About Sydney, don't kill me. But, like, those moments in my life where things are happening, you know, and I didn't really understand at that age why the hell I'm here, you know, in this space. And I'm going to be, this is so bad. I had no clue who Sydney Law was in. I knew this song, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. You've no lived a lot like, of lives,
0: Daniella. You've lived a lot of lives. However, age-wise, you're a little younger. I am even a little... I'm not like a... Actually, Cindy Lauper was like prime, my childhood, kind of. But like, yeah, age-wise, <laughs> on the planet, <laughs> it kind of makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Give yourself a little... No, of
1: there. course. And I grew up super religious, so I could tell you any gospel hymn. Like, hmm. I can give you a good old gospel hymn, but even when it comes to, like, R&B or pop culture... Were they not letting you listen to Mary really Mary? ...other than Christian music?
0: Kirk Franklin, Mary Mary? I Were did, they? yeah. They let you listen I to did. Mary Mary, though. Let shackles did. off my feet, kinda... so I can dance. That's a, that's a bop.
1: Yes. We even want to talk about the song yesterday, and, you know, mm-hmm. Blessed Assurance. See, like, I could go in on some gospel music, and so... Okay. That in itself. And so it's not, it's not like it's so funny because I was just on my friend. I was like, who would have thought the day I remember standing there in the summit, and everybody was going nuts for Sydney Lauper. And disabandoned, forced to care, surviving on the streets as child. It's just like, why are they praising this white woman? What is wrong? And this person's like, You don't know who she is. I'm like, no, girl. I'm like, I know this no shade to her but i was like i know this old white lady because i was like she's always on the news going off about politics nancy pelosi and so i was like yeah i get her but why is the white lady over there being praised and then now learning about i know who she is because i had a lot of shots of whiskey and screaming to the top of my lungs how girls just want to have fun (laughs) and (laughs) you know but i was saying to myself like who would have thought right like Had I not jumped out that window to liberate myself as a trans person, had I not stayed on that path with, you know, being so committed um, to tell my story, because I just knew there's no way that I survived all I did and there wasn't something there, to even meet a person who at a time in my life, completely ignorant, right? No clue who she is, no clue to her power. But again, it was me showing up with passion, with purpose, right? then now I can look like 10 years later and say, that's why she's sharing it. Yep. Be, you know, it's a great piece, but it was meant to be that, it, you know, that, that moment where like you not knowing was a part of this divine purpose for you to know someday. And I'm just so grateful that like, you know, today I can say that she knows not only of me, but she's in some ways have been a part of my journey in helping me become. And that is always gonna be a pinch me moment for me.
0: I mean I, I may even it. do a
1: shot of whiskey tonight in the name of girls just wanna have fun. <laughs> one for Sydney. I
0: love it. <laughs> one to have one for Cindy. Let me tell you. Wow, I love it. Um I adore you. Thank you for doing this.
1: Thank you. Thank you, you are... so much for having me. so much love to you. And tell Russell, I was good?
0: <laughs> I will tell Russell, he'll die. Literally, he was like, you call me right afterward? Russell is amazing. Russell is um, an acupuncturist. He is a writer. He, he is a special person that has been put on this earth to, oh my, I don't know. I feel lucky every time I talk to Russell. And Russell, you would love Russell. When you come to LA, okay. when you come visit me, you'll meet Russell. Much love to you, Russell. Make sure you follow Daniela's guest book. Make sure you follow Daniela. Um, please go watch Kokomo City. It's streaming now. It's incredible. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that Rashida Williams, um, also known as Coco de in Kokomo City, was murdered before the film came out um, in theaters, which is, you know, just incredibly tragic and sad and disheartening um, and you know I think it's incredible that we celebrate this film to see her and see how beautiful and and, and funny and thoughtful and smart she was um, and it's ever more important that all of us especially women support all women in- inclusive of Black trans women especially um they are being targeted at disproportional rates and i do believe that it is all of us (laughs) that has blood on our hands when we don't support the people around us and so i just wanted to make mention of that not to end on a terribly sad note but i think we do hey if it's uncomfortable we still have to talk about it right but Please watch the film. Please support, as Daniela said, your BIPOC creators. It's really, really important that we're just not, you know, sharing things in our stories and liking, but we're actually doing the work. Um, I'm really glad that we talked about that today. And uh, if you've seen the documentary, tell me what you thought, because I fucking, I loved it.